Oh, kia ora koutou whanau. Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation, making sweet, sweet love in your ear holes since 2018. Hey, if you'd like to uh, get on board and help us make this product, then you could become a patron by heading to patreon.com forward slash D-O-C-N-Z. If you go have a look for us, the Department of Conversation at patreon.com, maybe you'd consider being a part of the team that help us make this by a very small monthly donation. Go and have a look, go and have a read, see what you think. We uh, love bringing you content. We love bringing you good content. We love bringing you good people. And we've got a fair few of them coming up in the next wee while. Uh, today, though, you know him from all sorts of places. Uh, if you're my age and my vintage and grew up in Auckland, you probably know him quite a lot from More FM back in the day with Kim and Corbett. Uh, a lot of people know him today from his stand-up routines, his uh, various writing iterations, and, of course, being the main host on Seven Days. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome to the podcast a Jeremy Corbett. All right, team, that's us done and dusted for another one. Thanks to uh, Corby for coming on. That was a lot of fun. Um, coming up next, Jack Tame is going to be with us, oh, I was about to say in studio, in bedroom. I think that's the correct terminology to use these days. Um, we've had Jack before when he was in Dunedin, and I contacted him last week and said, you know, you feel like having a chat again. The world has changed, and uh, there are things to talk about, and Jack was luck- uh, lovely enough to say he'd love to come and join us again. So Jack Tame is going to be coming up next. I'm going to be having a chat with Tim Giles in the weekend. Also next week, uh, more podcasts on the way. I never give you a complete list because it does change quite quickly. But Dave Rubin is an American political commentator uh, who's got a very interesting story because he was a left-wing commentator and supporter. And now he's kind of a right-wing commentator and a supporter. So it's interesting to see his transition and his journey. And also uh, co-leader of the Greens, Martimer Davidson, will be joining us next week as well, amongst other people, I'm hoping. If you want to find out more about us, you can visit us on Facebook. Now, our Facebook uh, URL, domain name, has changed to make it easier for people to find us. We're just now facebook.com forward slash D-O-C-N-Z. D-O-C-N-Z, the Department of Conversation. Uh, YouTube, if you look up uh, D-O-C-N-Z Studios, you'll find us on YouTube. And if you want to just go straight to our uh, website, we're www.thedoc.nz. It's lovely putting these up for you and getting this stuff out there for people to enjoy. Thank you so much for all the comments and the correspondence we've been receiving, especially over this lockdown period. We hope to continue to do this. If you're someone who wants to think about supporting what we do, head to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash D-O-C-N-Z. And until we see you next time, stay safe. Hooroo! Oh, kia ora koutou Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation. So good to be back with you in the bedroom again. Uh, exciting news that I'm hoping by maybe this time next week, so maybe that's in three to five podcasts from now, we might be in our new studio. I know if you follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash D-O-C-N-Z, you'll know we made a big deal about moving studios and having a studio at the start of this year. Coronavirus and COVID-19 has affected a lot of us. And some of us had to make some hard decisions as to what we're going to do with our businesses and our practices and all sorts of things. So we've sadly had to give up the world's best studio. Uh, But I hope maybe this time next week we'll have built the world's second best studio, which will still be pretty darn fine. And we'll be about, I'm looking down in the corner, maybe about five to seven meters as the crow flies from where I'm sitting right now. Downstairs in my basement will be the new studio. Speaking of that, there is a lot of costs in what we do. There is a lot of costs in setting up things like studios. And there's a lot that we do uh, for the love of it, but also for the cost of it. 
out of our own pockets to bring this to you. And if you are someone who would consider uh, being a, a patron of what we do, then patreon.com forward slash D-O-C-N-Z is a place you can go and potentially consider being a part of what we do financially. We don't do this primarily to make money, primarily at all. Uh, and our most important desire is that you like our content and you enjoy our content, but maybe one or two of you out there think, you know, yeah, I'd like to get behind this and support this. I like what these guys are doing. And a way you can actually do it is to head to patreon.com forward slash D-O-C-N-Z and have a look at the options that we are offering there for people to get behind us in a more financial way. In this day and age, all the commentaries around um, COVID-19 and what's happening to the media world, I guess it's more and more evident that things cost money. And uh, yeah, sometimes we need people on board to help us. Maybe that could be you. Um, he is a, a wonderful man uh, who we have had in the studio before. Um, his name is Jack Tame. He has been with us on television screen since he was about six years old. I'm kidding. But certainly since he was about 19, actually, for TVNZ. He's now a, a, a fully grown up 32, 33-year-old, and he joins us again to talk life, the universe, and everything. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Jack Tame. Hello, Jack Tame and live streaming world. Welcome and good afternoon to you sir kia ora. how you doing oh, man. <laughs> i mean we're never really on you, you look great pat but i'm sensing there might be a little bit of tension <laughs> in the britain household i don't, don't want to <sighs> and with the good i always think i can't remember what movie it was but there was a movie that talked about putting your troubles into a bubble and blowing them away it's like i just think that the children kids <sighs> oh, that's very practical necessarily yeah right okay okay no yeah, I, what are we we, we, we like six or something with kids at home no and, yeah mm. i just don't i know we don't we don't never really start this thing on time because you don't need to you know we don't have to have that q a no, no, those no, q a no. pips or anything we just start talking no, no, no. but it, yeah. but of course they got the kids this week and it's fantastic i didn't have them for four weeks they were with their mum. got them this week which is delightful i'm loving it um we're all playing we're all, <laughs> we're all playing Fortnite together and I made it very clear that I've got a podcast this afternoon. Starts yeah. at one thirty. So you, thirteen-year-old, you need to go and do your, uh, you know, your um, paper oh. delivery. Paper delivery. Oh, I want you. Right. I want you out of the house before I start because then things, you know, I don't have to think about someone leaving the house. And so of course it gets to quarter past one, and the game of Fortnite is just about to wrap. And I said that's why you can go after that, and then doesn't have this, doesn't have that, doesn't have the phone doesn't know where the phone is meltdown over not being able to leave the house without the phone and i'm just like okay there's a really good clip and i don't know if we've talked about it before but i've talked about it dozens of times by a guy called simon sinek who talks about millennials and their phone and i guess now generation z and their phone and how it fires off the synapses in your head like cocaine and alcohol does yeah and I, I'm fascinated. I'm thinking. I mean, you know, you're a you're a millennial. You're a you're of that yeah, age. I'm, I'm like an old millennial. Though. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. We, we're yeah. I'm a I'm an Xer, even though with the grey, I now look like a boomer apparently. But I'm a Gen X, um, and I have these. I've said to my kids ever since they were little. You know, you guys have to understand what it means to be bored. You have to be able to be bored and not constantly be entertained. And I can remember sitting like on a Sunday after a cricket practice at St. Peter's College in central Auckland. And because the buses only came every hour, 
or even hour and a half, you miss the one by two minutes. So you're sitting there for an hour and a quarter doing nothing. And it's like, it's actually a skill to learn. And so watching my middle. I, don't know, I, don't think, I think there's a real, um, I mean, like I'm as addicted to my phone as anyone else. Right. And then so much of our work this day, uh, these days involves social media and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I have a real love hate relationship. Like I, I, I get pleasure from my phone, but at the same time, I like I find myself sitting down to watch something, or even when I'm trying to like you know like I'll be zooming my family or something, yep. and I find myself just automatically refreshing my phone. It's really unhealthy. Yeah. Um, and so I hate that. But at the same time, I I think the biggest problem with not being bored is that boredom allows for creativity and like there's just this like you say there there is probably a generation or two yeah of people who have been brought up never really knowing boredom and maybe never benefiting from the creativity that comes from being bored because when you if your brain is always stimulated first of all it's no wonder there's so much anxiety everywhere yeah but um but also you know like you it just you never give your brain kind of an opportunity to take different paths and and to subconsciously explore different things and so you're never creative in that same way i think i think that's a real loss yeah i think evidence of that and i'm i'm going to say that this probably resonates with everyone but it's certainly how i operate is often you have those oh yeah moments like in the shower or for me mm-hmm. on the whareapaku or you know sometimes when when you're brain isn't necessarily engaged although i think a lot of us do have our phones on the toilets these days but especially mm. in the shower you know it's, it's one, one exercise is the other one right mm. like they reckon that um it's a real silicon valley thing too to, to like take an hour-long walk a day without your phone and to see what happens because when you are just forced to reckon with your immediate physical environment yeah and your brain doesn't have the stimulus of notifications or of news updates or of your friends liking your photos or any of that, then all of a sudden, yeah, it can, it can allow for creativity. I mean, that, yeah. you know, they, that, that's for many thousands of years, that's how human beings have come up with new stuff. And it's, it's interesting to consider a world where we don't have that. I mean, we, I'm sure we have other ways, you know, that we can be um, innovative these days. Mm-hmm. I, I still think, yeah, I, I, I worry about that. Yeah, it's like that old, I mean, it's more of maybe an American sort of picture, but that old adage of, you know, sitting on the porch in the rocking chair, whittling wood, you know, just mm. literally sitting there. There's no point in whittling wood. You're literally just cutting shavings off it, but there's your thinking time. It's There's a balance, isn't there? I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I wonder, I, if there's, I wonder if there's a game. I wonder if there's an app where you can whittle wood. Like, I wonder if someone's yeah. done a, a, a virtual whittling wood thing. They probably have. <laughs> You know, I remember I remember traveling in Asia in I don't know maybe two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. It was it was sort of just before phones were really prevalent in places like India and China. You know, these days almost every single person in those countries would have a phone. Right. But I remember one of the things that struck me then about being in India was that people like people were obviously underemployed and understimulated. Same thing actually in places like Cuba. Mm-hmm. And so they would just kind of sit out all day and just watch the world go by, just sit outside a shop or sit outside their house and just sit on the side of the road, on the curb, in the dirt, wherever, and just watch the world go by. Yeah, and yeah. I always thought that was such a, um, that, w- that was like a, a sentence, 
you know, worse than death. Like that was just the worst thing to be that, to be that really? kind of underemployed, just to be passing the days for eight or 10 hours a day, sitting there watching the world go by seemed horrible. So I think maybe there's a, there's a happy balance to be had. Yeah. Somewhere between, somewhere between sitting there watching the world go by and, and never, ever having a moment away from your phone. I am. Um, I always like when I've looked at houses and I've lived in, I don't know, 30 houses as an adult you know when you're a student and you're in your 20s and stuff you tend to do a different house every year as the ones that I always used to be attracted to most of all was the ones with the front stoop you know with the stairs that go up to the front door the Bill yeah, Cosby yeah, yeah. kind of house not that we want to yeah, talk about what yeah, went on there because yeah. there's something about sitting out there and you know with a cigar or a, or a beer or whatever and with your mates and just sitting there and chatting is something that I, I like and I realize I like meetings you know, some people hate meetings. I like meetings. I like getting around a table and chewing over ideas with people. And I wonder if it's yeah. part of the same sort of vibe of just, even though meeting is obviously more focused, that just kind of hanging out and talking about shit. You're bouncing. You bounce off people. Mm. That's your nature, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, um, totally it's lovely to speak to you. Uh, last time yeah. we had you in, you were in, our, uh, in one, of, one of our studios. Uh, now you're in my bedroom. Welcome. Yeah, how um, do you so talk me through this light situation? This one back here. Yeah, <laughs> that's my porn, yeah. that's my porn star set. I mean, it does like don't know this the wrong way. It doesn't look very like how like it doesn't look very relaxing. <laughs> um, to be honest with you, I I have had it's to move very like like calendar girls at four a.m. Yeah, this is my porn star set. Um, <laughs> I I I I put them up specifically when I started doing this in my bedroom during the COVID crisis, simply for something in the background that wasn't ugly uh, 90s uh, yellow paint over the top of terrible wallpaper. Because that yeah. is my bedroom. Like if you saw this corner here, you'd see where all the all the um, actual wallpaper has been put up poorly by the people before yeah. me and it, it's bubbling in the corner. So really that's just up there. But you know what? That that thing changes colours. And actually I've started using it at night time as like a bedside lamp. I put it on white and I turn the volume right down. And actually it's quite a nice light in the room. <laughs> I use it Isn't when it? I come. Yeah, it's not bad. Where do you even buy something like that? Uh, I think those were Amazon. I've got them. Why I got them is they're LED strips and 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 the studio. We're in a different studio from the one you came to. They look to. like tubes here. They're yeah, like, they're like, they're flat. Yeah. They're flat with a sticky back, and you actually right. stick them on things. And so the idea was they were going to go on the backs of the TVs in the studio, and then mm. throw like a blue wash up on the wall. Um, so and and I've I you came to our temporary studio. We moved into a permanent studio, which was just the business. And unfortunately, because of this COVID crisis, we're going to have to move out of that. But I'm quite excited to say I'm going to build a studio downstairs in my house. And um, nice. yeah, and, and set like, so at the moment I'm using one camera and this is actually our backup mics and I've got my backup desk um, yeah. and I'm going to set it up properly. And, and although I'm gutted to be leaving the space we had, which we managed to film three podcasts and <laughs> um, all this time and effort and energy and stuff. And we did three podcasts and I'm gutted to be leaving there. There's something about having all my gears downstairs, just going uh, like I'm, I'm expecting a couple of podcasts to pop up like you today. We, we talked two hours ago. Should we do yeah. it today? Yeah. If I was in the studio, I wouldn't have done that. Got the kids at home. Yeah, can't do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah so there's something that. about that idea. Agility. Pat. Yeah. I call that agility. Yeah. And also, yeah. and also now, and I think for the last kind of six or seven years, the world has been accepting of uh, lesser quality um, content 
the look of content, like CNN and those started to use Skype, people Skyping in. And, and even TVNZ and using that, sometimes you see at the bottom of the thing via internet because they're using an internet feed rather than using a, you know, a, a up to the satellite sort of thing. And I actually think now that Zoom has become so prevalent and, and I've done a few of these podcasts where I've had a mic on my end and Steve Wrigley's had a mic on the other end or whatever, it sounds as good as studio to studio. You know, there's no need for things like ISDNs in that anymore for radio stations or Comrexes or that kind of stuff that you'll be well used to. Um, yeah. th- these are good enough. And so I actually think having a full a full studio downstairs is probably going to open up all sorts of opportunities as well, which I'm quite excited about, actually. Could be stage three of the, the podcast world. How long will it take you to build a studio down there, though? Building the wall, I've got a, like a family room downstairs that's sort of 10 metres by 4 metres. I'm building the wall this weekend. I've ordered French doors, glass and laid French doors from Christchurch. They'll hopefully be here early next week. Um, so to give us a more natural light. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll, I've basically got the walls. I've just got to build another wall across the middle and then i just got to move my stuff. I could have a fully operational studio within seven days of now if I wanted to. That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I had the spark, yeah. had the sparky, and yes, it was really weird in this current crisis. Had a sparky come in yesterday, and like, no handshake. I mean, like, appropriately. Yeah, that stuff, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the no physical contact, and then you're like doing the awkward, like, hey, <laughs> you're like all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird, eh? Yeah. It's um, I'm already. I reckon it's starting to slip, though, eh? Don't you think? I oh, surely you've seen. If you haven't seen, if people haven't seen this, go onto Facebook and just look up Burger Fuel Glenfield, and there was a photo on that day one of of level three. And honestly, yeah. fifty people outside Burger Fuel in Glenfield queuing normally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I, I I wondered. I mean, it was that was ridiculous. But I did wonder about the perspective of the photo and that sort of thing. I don't know. Like just looking where i where i live i can kind of see some of the motorways in Auckland. and yep. looking out over the city the the quantities of traffic at level three compared to level four it's like another world there are, i mean there, there would be literally 20 times as many cars on the road what is it though compared to say what rush hour was prior oh, to the lockdown it's still not still not still not as hard out as russia yeah but but i mean i don't know i feel like i feel because at the moment, basically, most businesses are open except for retail and hospitality, right? Yeah. And a lot of lot of cafes and stuff are trying to do takeaway food. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess a, I guess if they can open at level two, then it's going to feel relatively normal and if kids can go back to school. But I think the kids not being at school is, I mean, you would know more than me, but that's such a big kind of burden in terms of, like, from an economic perspective as well, you know. <laughs> I, I saw a headline. So people who thought, like, oh, I could do heaps of work from home, and they're like, oh, no. <laughs> I saw a headline as I pick up my cell phone because, as we say, we're all addicted to them. I was hoping that I'd be able to see what the headline was. I didn't read the story, but the headline, mm-hmm. I think, said, I mean, you probably know this, you're a, you're a journalist, or maybe you've read it, or maybe it's come from one of the groups you work in with, maybe the Herald it was, that I think it said, three percent of children back at no one percent of children back at school three percent back at daycare so it seems that parents even though obviously it is more a burden and more difficult are still going yeah we're we're not ready to put our kids back in yet yeah yeah and i think that i think um my understanding is that schools have made it like they've really said to parents like for any parent who are like hey we're gonna bring our kids in next week school was like are you 100 sure do you really need to do this 
and the kids who are at school yeah like it's much more fun for kids to be at home even with the restrictions than it is to be at school though. totally like they're not allowed close to each other they're not allowed to do anything they can't just go and like play in the playground or anything like that it's not going to school at the moment is not fun and it's yeah. not social they're not hanging out yeah know? so I, I think it just makes i think it makes total sense that that there aren't that many people on the current restriction to have decided to go yeah but i think at level two it'll it'll be you know it'll be all, all go i reckon I, it's so hard i mean like how do you how do you if you can't keep people social distancing at burger fuel and greenfield then yeah. how are you going to do how are you going to get like 36 year olds okay everyone stay a meter apart like this is not going to happen well we had um we, we started off by being a homeschooling family and yeah. we were a homeschooling family because my eldest um, had epilepsy back when she was four. And we didn't realize this at the time, but what we basically did was, long story short, we went, oh, we got to get this sorted out properly. Let's forget about school and just, just go down the homeschooling path to start with and we'll get this thing sorted out. Now, long story short, it was sorted out by the time she was five, five and a half, easily. Um, but we already started down that path, so we went down it. So we've done this a bit before. I mean, I'm not yeah. I'm not with the kid's mother anymore, um, but she's just next door, literally. You know, we, we share a boundary. So um, so we've sort of done this a little bit before, and, we, and, and I know, and people who have done homeschooling before or even know about it will understand that normally if you work well, if the kids work well, you can get through the schoolwork far quicker than a school day. So I'm being I'm being a little bit of a school Nazi at the moment. I threatened my kids yesterday that they were, if they weren't at the dining room table by nine doing schoolwork, I would make them get in their school uniforms and come and sit at the dining room table. Yeah. <laughs> and I would. And I actually think that they should get into their school uniforms to do one of their school Zooms because I think that would be hilarious. Um, but I'm basically... That would be, that'd, that'd never live it down. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I'm basically saying to them, look, and I'm, I'm sitting at the table with them working. I'm like, work hard, play hard. Let's um, kick ass for three or four hours, you know, from let's say from breakfast until lunch at 12.31, whatever, and then let's play. Let's play. Let's let's play PlayStation. Yeah. We're allowed to we're allowed to leave the property yet. We were going to go up to a beach, although the weather's not so good today, you know, a bit further up the coast, but still within our region, as the PMS said, we can stay in our region. Um, and so that's what we're doing. Uh, and the 10-year-old zooms in with her teacher every day the other two have really got who are both at high school have got a list of things to do and work towards and are pretty yeah. independent and we're just we're we're cracking i don't i quite like it i mean it's easy if i was still at the studio this would be more difficult but i i like having the kids around in general i mean they've i'm pulling my hair yeah. out today but that's only one incident um yeah, yeah. but in general we we're mates we're fun you know we've started watching the don't you think though like how incredibly lucky we are that this has happened now and not 20 years ago yeah i just mean that generally like imagine being in your situation now mm-hmm. but not being able to rely like okay whose turn is it on carter next you know like it's just <laughs> yeah. the fact that we can have the level of connectivity that we have now and all sorts of entertainment whether it's you know Netflix or playing Fortnite online or whatever. Like we're just we're just so lucky yeah. to have this level of entertainment because, especially for the for level four, if yeah, like I just I keep on thinking in the early days, like God, imagine how hard prison must be. Like, well, in, in prison. Pri- <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it's hard enough. Hard enough, like basically eating whatever you want except for takeaways but 
you can eat you know there's no restrictions on how many times you can go to the supermarket really mm. um you can watch as much tv or whatever as you want whenever you want you just have to stay home and you're allowed out to exercise and yet people are still losing their minds it's like well imagine doing a 20-year sentence or something we've we've got these <laughs> a different i know a little bit different. yeah yeah, yeah. But, but i know what you're saying because we've got these delightful little rabbits um mm. little small ones with the, the lop ears lop, i think that's what they're called mm-hmm. lop ear rabbits they're, they are disgustingly cute like it's the kind yeah. of thing that they look at you and you kind of go it's criminal how cute that yeah, thing is yeah. And I'm not one of these people who goes, let's watch all the cutesies videos on YouTube. But these things, and, and they're very, very, um, I was going to say humanized, whatever the word is for their good, used to being around humans. So you walk past yeah. them and they climb up on their cage to kind of say, yeah. you know, hi, I'm here, pick me up. Um, we've got an outside cage for them and an inside cage. And they're pretty big and pretty spacious. But I did think in that last week of lockdown, seeing them in their inside area, they do run around the house as well, but they have a home sort of in there. I kind of go, shit, mate, I, I, I'm feeling it a bit. You know, I kind of I kind of get this restriction thing. So it's not quite prison, but I had a little example in my room and I kind of went, yeah. And, and then we figured out how to give them a bigger run. So it's like, I just, yeah. I, I, I got it a little bit. I, I also think yeah. what you're talking about us going backwards, I saw that through that four and a half week period. I didn't go to the supermarket at all, um, but I did go to a fresh fruit and veggie store that was an essential uh, outlet. So I, I re- uh, we just I just I I have a chest freezer, and we had uh, plenty of meat and that kind of stuff. Uh, the 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 fruit and veggie store that I go to uh, they sell milk and stuff. They also mm-hmm. deliver, so we got a delivery one week and I went in a couple of times. Um, but that's all we did. I had everything else backed up. I'm one of these people who has an over- my week. Honestly, I was like, yes. <laughs> Today's, from being in, usually it's like, ugh, go to the supermarket. I was like, yeah, <laughs> off to countdown. Uh, I'm the opposite. <laughs> I, love, I love the supermarket. Yeah. It's good fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I went out in the first week, maybe it was the second week, and from my house to this veggie shop is probably 12Ks. You know, as in Dunedin, it's the other side of town from North Dunedin to South Dunedin, basically. So maybe, okay, maybe, well, maybe hey. eight, maybe eight Ks. All right. Why are we going that far? Uh, because it's the best value fruit and veggies in Dunedin. Yeah, but surely, like, the petrol you're spending in driving those 25 Ks is like, uh, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, anyway. Fair enough. Anyway, whatever. You do you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I might have come across two or three cars during the trip and then i went there and i went i went there in week three and i came past like 20 cars still pretty quiet but significantly different and then i went there in the days leading up to the you know the shutting the the level three opening you know 100 cars so i think through that lockdown period as well people became more comfortable with the idea of lockdown and what yeah. they were allowed to. So like in those first few weeks, I think we were all kind of locking ourselves in our houses, kind of going, not going to go out, not going out, and then sort of figured it out. But but I can understand how it goes from relaxing during the lockdown to I have freedom. Whereas what they've really said is pretty much things stay the, ch- stay the same. You can expand your bubble a little bit. You can go to work, but don't, don't change your social interactions. Don't socialize. And... So it feels. So I heard someone talk about it as level three point nine at one stage, 
Um, and Jerth Khan said it's like level four with KFC. Right. <laughs> but we haven't, I haven't, we haven't seen that. And there are like, I took a little video as I was driving past a McDonald's the other day and 60 cars. I'm like, what the, I mean, honestly, you know, I get that people like McDonald's, but honestly, this was the day after. Is it, are you really that desperate for a, you know, a terrible burger rather than going to a decent burger place? Yeah. It's not my cup of tea either, to be honest. But, although I did, I did look forward to, I did look forward to some takeaways, but I was hardly, I, I just don't eat, I never eat McDonald's. But um, uh, yeah, like there's no food to me that is worth, like, I love food. I love food, but there's no food that is worth queuing up for like yeah. 60 cars worth to me. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks. See you later. Yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm the same. In fact, that's often, yeah. Like if you go to the, if you go to a, a, a like a beer festival or something and there's queues of 40 or 50 people it's like i just don't get it not it's not not my bag i mean maybe when i was younger it was a part of the vibe you'd, you'd queue up for stuff and that but nothing's that good i remember i remember covering the i had to when i was living in new york i had to cover the cronut remember the cronut craze I did. <laughs> the croissant donut thing and um i remember having to go down to outside this bakery at like four o'clock in the morning to film people and people have been there since 3 a.m. queuing. And I was just like, what are you people doing with your lives? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I love a pastry. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love it. It's delicious, I'm sure. But just step back from them and look at yourselves. You're queuing in the street at half past three in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, so you can have a croissant. Like, psh, what are you doing? That speaks also more to the way things like viral media works because yeah. when those came out I actually was flatting with someone in West Auckland who ran a cafe and mm. they were delicious there is no question about those things they were wonderful yeah. but the it's the not even that it was actively marketed but it's that viral idea that this is now the thing to have it's like I was watching um I think it would have been three news last night. No, maybe it was the project. I had I had Corby on a couple of days ago, and I thought I'd catch up with him on the project because it was up for. Yeah. And he had on um, Benny, who has had another song of hers go to TikTok and become quite viral. Oh yeah, I've interviewed her for radio this weekend actually. Yeah, and that went from one girl doing one dance to now there's half a million versions of it being done on TikTok. You know, that one person that does one thing is like the one cafe that sells the, the cronut. Something happens in between. It's the same as anything, actually. We talk about, we talk about like this podcast, doesn't matter how good or bad something is, a business, a content, there often needs to be a break or a particular thing that happens to actually send it into the stratosphere or send it to the next stage where yeah, it becomes yeah, yeah, yeah. successful and that's what seems to be with those sorts of things something happened somewhere maybe fucking Kylie Jenner ate one or something and that was the thing that became the hot and trend like the, yeah yeah it's like the watershed moment yeah, I don't, yeah it's funny though because you can't it's very hard to predict what that moment will be I mean I think Kylie Jenner does anything that it seems to be pretty well <laughs> but if you no but you know what I mean like yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's uh, it's very hard to, to kind of manufacture that moment i mean there must be so many brands that have spent millions of dollars trying to manufacture viral hits but have failed miserably yeah but it's I, just it's one of those it's kind of a it's this sort of unpredictable human nature things too don't you think yeah it's one of those things that that businesses need to be aware of when talking to marketers doing a little bit mm -hmm. of that on the side as well is that when they talk about making you some viral content they don't know what they're talking about because mm. by definition, you know, viral catches. It catches on for no real reason. 
um, and actually people promising that sort of um, opportunity is is nonsense. They can yeah. they can promise good content or catchy content or whatever, but I've I've seen it. I've seen people talking about we'll make you a viral video, and I'm like, mm. just be, be aware of those people because you can't. With that. Yeah, yeah, you can't do. That. I think I remember there was some there was some. Um, oh, I can't remember. Was it? It was either a marketing course or like a digital media thing at some college in America where the university professor said your goal whoever makes like a viral video with the most hits yep by the end of the semester wins i don't know if you've seen it um and the one that that one was someone some incredibly talented graphic designer or editor or whatever made this like kind of grainy looking film where an eagle sweeps down and picks up a dog, yeah. like a kid is playing with a dog in the right. backyard, and the dog and the this eagle goes and takes the dog or cat or yeah, like their family pet anyway, and the kid's like ah, <laughs> screaming like, ah, ah, and it looks really legitimate because you know it's kind of shaky cell phone yeah, video, yeah, yeah. you know, mid two thousands or whatever, and this thing had you know like. 500 million hits in yeah, the space sure. of all week because it looked so extreme and it was all bullshit it was all it was all totally manufactured but i always thought what an amazing um assignment that is like, yeah, that's like a really simple assignment just whoever makes a video that gets the most hits on youtube by the end of the semester wins <laughs> and one of the ironies being if one of the students had a, literally caught some kind of event you know a jfk shooting sort of thing Without any work at all, they would have won it easily. Hence the idea yeah, of the yeah, viral yeah. thing. Yeah, but totally. It's an interesting. Yeah. It is an interesting time. It's interesting as well. I mean, I've I've talked to a few people during this time involved in the media. We had Mike McRoberts on, and as I said, we had Corby on, and um, obviously yourself. It's I'm, I'm interested in, in the vibe around TVNZ at the moment. I know that there's kind of um, separate teams operating for the news like there's a day team and a night team to keep people away from each other does any of that happen with Q&A have you got like uh, separate teams yeah, or are you just are you on, is, is Q&A its own bubble how does it go yeah no it's uh, TVNZ's got so they've got a, uh, re, so basically only news people are at work mm-hmm. this is my understanding I uh, this is how I, I kind of I this is how I understand it at the moment and I don't think it's changed but there are there are certainly only news people at work um, two teams, red and a blue, and right. so you do kind of like five days on, two days off, um, and then they rotate the teams. Um, the idea being that if one of the teams had gone down, mm-hmm. then the other team would have kind of held out for the next few weeks. Yep, um, which would have been a big ask. Um, we, for me, I'm I'm team red but our team has been split as well. But we kind of made the decision early on. If you don't, if you don't need to be in the newsroom, don't be in the newsroom. Right. And that's kind of been the message. So I basically only am going into the office when I'm literally on air in the studio. Same with ZB at the moment. And the rest of the time, just working from home. So are you, and, are like, you still going into ZB? I mean, I would think, especially with your experience from New York, yeah, broadcasting no, no, out of New I'm York. Going, going into ZB, but we've got, um, they've got, like we've all got our own mic socks and then we all, there's this whole kind of protocol for mm-hmm. when you leave the studio and that sort of thing. And, and there are no, neither TVNZ or uh, News Talk has any like in-person guests at the moment. Yeah. And I guess for Q&A, that's kind of, that's one of the difficult elements in, in that, um, okay, ours is an interview show. 
and most of the interviews, you know, they're about as long as you will see on a TV, on TV in this day and age. And yep. they might be eight or 10 minutes long, mm -hmm. which is actually nothing, but as long is as long as it gets on telly these days. Yeah, yeah. And so um, you're relying on Skype and Zoom, which can be kind of temperamental, especially in the evenings when everyone's streaming Netflix and stuff. So we've had a couple <laughs> of when, like, things have dropped out. It's like, oh, and then that's a big hole to fill. Right. Like yeah. a 10 minute hole, you know. So on the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, if we don't get this up, this is going to be a lot of me talking. But um, for the most part, it's actually it's actually worked really well, and we're very fortunate. Like at TVNZ, we haven't um, we haven't had people with COVID, you know, and and so or um, and all the protocols seem to have worked pretty efficiently. The other thing I would say is that people like news people love a crisis. Yeah, and I don't mean I don't mean that we're like willing the nation to be in the grips of a pandemic. I just mean that like when you have like by their nature, journalists and we, they're kind of used to reacting to emergencies and crises and things. Of course. So when you are thrown into different working environments, there's a really, there's a real kind of collective pull together thing. You know, like the same thing happened when um, there was that fire at Sky City last year. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah for sure. And so, so TVNZ was kicked out. We were kicked out for, I, don't know, I can't even remember, maybe a week or two. And we were working out of, at Spark building for a few days, but it was like it was almost like being on school camp or something. <laughs> and then like everyone's kind of like, yeah, you know. And then there's you know there's like a muesli bar station, and you know like everyone's kind of um, kind of excited. I think that excitement's probably worn off now. But the funny thing is, for media everywhere, us and for media works, you know, we are like the ratings for for TVNZ right now, and particularly for TV One. Are astronomical. Yeah, of course. Astronomical. I mean, the the. I think I think this. I think this is right. I could be wrong, but the. So a week ago on the Monday, that four o'clock announcement that Jacinda Ardern and Ashley Bloomfield made about when we would move to level three, that was the highest viewed news event in New Zealand on TV, and certainly on TVNZ One, um, since nine eleven. Right. That, wow. that there were more people watching that moment. Than anything else but of course for all the viewers no advertisers want to spend any money at the moment and this is part so, of the conversation i've been having with with other media yeah. people i mean just to the point though i would still say that the most enjoyable mm. and best broadcasting i've ever done uh was the day the twin towers was hit I was on air when the Twin Towers were hit, working for More FM. Um, well, enjoy not not the content. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. There's like a surge of adrenaline, right? That comes when when you, when you are broadcasting in a moment that you know is you get a sense like this has real historical significance. You know that it's a big deal. When, a thrill when I look back over, <laughs> I was gonna say my career, whatever. When I look back over my life. These will be the things I talk about being involved with, you know. Yeah. It was, and I was working for More FM, so we weren't a news outlet, but I was on air when it when it happened, and I was young, yeah. and I was like, "Holy crap, what do I do?" And um, and then actually, who I just talked to, Corby, Kim and Corbett were on that morning, and I stayed through the breakfast show and basically produced and got drops and all that kind of stuff. So when I say enjoyed, I I guess I mean. Uh, not enjoyed like I would enjoy a comedy festival, but enjoyed like it was 
gratifying. I felt like I'd done an amazing job. I had offered what I could and felt really proud of the work. That's what I mean by enjoyed. And then the yeah, other yeah. the other one was I was on air when the first Christchurch quake happened, the one in the middle of yeah. the night. So those two periods are the ones that, that stand out for me. And so these times of adversity that you referenced previously, um, yeah, I, I that resonates with that quite a lot. Um, the the it's also uh, we had on a guy called Mike Dickerson last year, I think. They call him New Zealand's only Wikipedian, and he's actually got a grant from Wikipedia to go around and teach people in New Zealand how to use Wikipedia. And when the Christchurch, I'm just kind of thinking about how media is starting to change. When the Christchurch massacre happened, he informs me that a lot of places were seeking some information from the Wikipedia page that was started in New Zealand immediately because it was then becoming almost like an RSS feed of getting all the information from other places and becoming quite a reliable source of what was going on, but like in real time almost, which I think is fascinating because, again, you talk about money. It doesn't really cost anything to run. Um, TVNZ, TV3, you know, New Zealand Herald, ZB. uh, So it doesn't cost anything to run? Well, you know, we don't pay for it. And they don't, oh. and there's not advertising on it. It's basically based on donations. So you obviously oh, Wikipedia, Wikipedia doesn't. Cost yeah, 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 yeah. So oh, I thought you meant like TV. I was like, yo, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, you're right. And, and so it's interesting to think about costings of money. But, okay, but here's my question for you: Like, you where does where does the Wikipedia content come from? Yeah, from people. Yeah, no, but you got to verify everything. Right, like yeah. often it, all sources need to be verified, yeah. and so most of the sources are TVNZ or the Herald or ZB or anything else like that. It's yeah. not just like Gary from down the road says this happened, so it happened. And the, I, I think Wikipedia is, I think Wikipedia is an amazing resource and like a, an incredibly, like it's so easy, it's so like cheap for people to be like, oh, where did you read that Wikipedia? <laughs> so well, actually. Wikipedia, for the most part, is an incredible example of what happens when you when you crowdsource information, but then actually build in some checks. Yeah, I'd, I'd be far more inclined to be to to believe something I read in, on Wikipedia than on Facebook. But I would totally. also know that just I mean you, the fact that you have all of your sources usually I, I cited preferably verified, but you have them listed down the bottom. I think Wikipedia is just great to be able to go, and I'm always like, okay, I'll go to 36 and see what that says. You yeah, know? Yeah. Like you say, it's, it's almost like an RSS feed. I, um, um, but the yeah. point you made, which I think is important for people to understand, and the, I think the best example is Sky Sport, is like people complain about Sky Sport, people complain about paying for the rugby, yada, 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 yada. And so people take live free streams and that kind of stuff. And I saw a conversation actually with the wife I won't say who it is, but with a wife of quite a high-profile sports presenter. And the point they made was, yeah, but Sky pays for all of this. You know, this is a, this is a, the reason that it's such good coverage is it costs a lot to do it. So there is a, like you were saying about who pays for the content for Wikipedia, they cite TVNZ, there's a TVNZ cost to that. So it's it's this conversation at the moment about media moving forward and what happens with the well, costs just, and I mean, how I do we pay for it. Like, yeah, like Wikipedia wouldn't be nearly, you know, like Wikipedia would be near useless unless you had reliable sources of information yeah. from which it could source its yeah. kind of collaborations, right? And so that's, I don't know. I mean, I think media's in crisis, you know, it's, it's just totally in crisis at the moment. And um, 
I have no idea how things are going to shake down in the in the years and months ahead. I just think there's going to have to be massive, massive change. But I also think that, you know, like it, it's an interesting kind of, it's an interesting question about values that most people just take for granted, you know, because we've always had these TV channels for free. Yeah. Um, you know, we just kind of expect that, they can survive and we expect that we can be given news and given information and given entertainment for free. I say for free because you're still getting bombarded with Briscoe's ads and Harvey Norman ads sure. and stuff. Um, that's the price you pay. But the, um, but, you know, like the, the newspapers, like the, you know, the, the stuffs in, in NZ Heralds and ODTs of the world, they produce maybe, um, as like individual stories that are a lot cheaper to produce because a lot of those stories are they're just someone on a phone in an office calling up and finding out what happened. What do you think? What do you think? Cool, thanks. I'll write a few sentences. Yeah. Gone. And, you know, TV, you got to turn up with a camera and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but they produce vast, vastly more content in terms of stories than the TV networks can do or any, you know, like RNZ can do alone. And I just think... Um, yeah, you know, like for a century, for more than that, most people have been happy to pay for newspapers. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, when we went online, um, they kind of followed the scale model as opposed to the financial longevity model. Yeah, And it's the same thing that Uber does now, right? You know, like startups now, they go for scale rather than profitability early. So it's not important whether or not you're profitable in the early days. It's the race to become the biggest dog in town. And in a way, digitally, stuff and the Herald kind of did that. I mm. think um, with, the, with the grand benefit of hindsight, it was probably a mistake that they didn't immediately charge for online access to stories you know, 20 like, years ago in like New the, Zealand. Like the because, pre premium content type thing, or you think absolutely pay no, no, no. Front. I mean, maybe premium content, or, or you know, I just think it's really hard once you've, in the eyes of your readers been giving away content for free yeah. online for 20 years to then be like, Oh, now it's time to pay for it. But it's weird, right? Because we'd always been happy to pay for that information for, 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 you know, newspapers have existed for 150, 200 years. Yep. And we'd always been happy to pay for that. You know, I grew up, my parents always had a newspaper at the end of the driveway. I go up and get it every morning. That was just something that everyone did. Every, you know, every, most families had it, would get a newspaper, but now, but then all of a sudden we went to, these digital models slowly those newspaper subscriptions started to drop off because people thought well i'm going to have more up-to-date information online and it's free why wouldn't i just go there it might mm -hmm. not have the nice aesthetic quality of you know holding newsprint in my hands but it's it's faster it's easier and it's certainly cheaper and now we're going oh actually now we need you to pay for it it's a really really hard sell and you know with the benefit of hindsight i wonder if and it's easy to say this now, but I wonder if it just would have been smarter from the word go to say, you know, we're going to, we you can enter your subscription details here and have access to everything, but we're still going to charge or, or we're going to charge you a reduced rate or whatever, but we're going to charge you from the word go. Cause now both, both stuff and the Herald are kind of trying to put the genie back in the bottle and it's tough. It's really tough. Are uh, stuffed, so to speak. Um, well, yeah, I hope not. But I, 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 I mean, I, I think people take it for granted still. Like, uh, you know, journos talk about, like, oh, you know, we're a pillar of democracy and all of that. And, and you know, some of that can 
some of that chat maybe can be a bit overblown, but man, I reckon, I, I just, I think would really, um, we'd only realize how damaging it would be not to have good sources of information, you know, when it was too late. I've been talking through this lockdown about the way we get out of this. There's, there's two theories. One is the break, uh, the break even policy and the two is to be loyal. So the break-even policy talks about if you're, and this is a very specific example, but hopefully it'll be give an idea, about not needing necessarily to make a bunch of money in this time. Because what we want is when we get through this is for there to be as many people left as possible, especially around the idea of businesses. So if you own a building that's got a bar in it and your mortgage is 1000 bucks a week, but you can charge 3000 bucks a week for it, well, then at the moment, charge the business 1500 bucks a week, break-even, your client will still stay there. You won't go backwards. And at the end of this whole lockdown, everyone will still be there to be able to open up again. So whatever that version is. So, you know, if you're a, if you're a Airbnb and we're allowed to travel you know, in our region and you can get 150 bucks a night for it, but no one's coming. So charge 60 a night for it. You know, make a bit of money, give people a chance to travel and, and come away still. And everyone still kind of just makes do for now. Um, and the other thing about being loyal is and and a good example is Air New Zealand. Like being loyal to our, our carrier, once we're able to travel and stuff, you can't go to Queensland, so you go to Queenstown. You can't go to France, so you go to Fakatane. These sorts of things. Um, but the the flip side to that, and this is coming back France to Fakatane. Well, no, you know, no insult to Fakatane, but it's you, know, you can't like, go to France. Go to Fakatane. Well, we were sense. gonna, yeah, we were gonna have a nice summer in the Loire <laughs> Valley, but instead. <laughs> I have plenty of what's happening. <laughs> can't can't go to Panama. Go to Pukekohe. How about that? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, but 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 there's a reciprocality that needs to happen. Is yeah, T uh, is that Air New Zealand needs to be loyal back to their customers as well. And you know, yeah. if they can afford to charge sixty bucks from Auckland to Nelson, then during this period they should. I think the same needs to happen with the media. I really liked that you've said. Um, from someone within the media that maybe it was a mistake that the media didn't start charging at the start because remember we the consumer and look I'm, I'm talking about a listener and a reader now rather than someone hosting a digital piece of media um we, we've played by media rules you know i've taken all the advertising i that those were the rules that were put in front of us radio stations yeah. we, i've listened to all the advertising so i play by your rules i've read all the newspaper adverts so now you set the rules, I've played by them. If you're going to change the rules, because these rules are now no longer working for you, then I want some loyalty back as well. So maybe that will be, I'll be loyal to you, I'll be loyal to you, let's say ODT because I'm in Otago, right? And I'll keep you know buying my paper or I'll, I'll buy an online subscription. But maybe the way you're loyal back to me is you you have, a like you've said, have a low price, a low entry point, a something that goes on. So then I can still get my content. I can give you something towards that content. You can yeah. get something for it to keep going. And let's readdress this in 18 months from now and see what, what happens from there. I think I think like the, the, the massive elephant in the room is just Facebook and Google. And, and, you know, like when, when in the early days of stuff and NZ Herald Online, like those platforms didn't exist. Yeah. I remember I was working in a newsroom in 2006 and um, I think it was the Virginia Tech Massacre mm -hmm. in the States, maybe. Yep. I'm guessing it was back in 2006, 2007. Yep. And um, there was a Kiwi guy who was over there and I was trying to get in contact with him. And... Um, he was on Facebook and I like 
not really heard of Facebook, but I had a friend at college in America who's like, oh, yeah, Facebook's this big thing. So I signed up to Facebook and said to, like, <laughs> to work, oh, I've contacted this guy through Facebook. And everyone was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> um, but it's just completely and utterly changed not just the game, but the entire ecosystem. And is it for the better? I don't, I don't think so necessarily. Like better Facebook, for who? The question would be better no, for who? Is I, it- I don't think it's better for anyone. I, I think it's better for like maybe that very short term like serotonin hit or whatever it is. <laughs> but apart from that, could anyone? I mean, like it's so. If you look at Facebook objectively, it is so clearly. Um, feeding you stuff through algorithms that a you don't really care about like do you really care about this random person that you haven't seen in 15 years and wouldn't speak to on the street why are you looking at their pics of them taking a you know like a saucy photo in their bathroom you know (laughs) what what is this shit (laughs) and and yet you're losing hours of your life to it every week there's that but there's also just i mean the bubble thing i i just i don't think you can overstate how dangerous it is when people are only exposed to ideas they agree with. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I remember a couple of years ago, like years ago, I was living in New York and I had this mate, this Kiwi mate who, um, and I said, oh, let's go and vote. Go to the, you know, go to the local um, consular office and vote together. And he wasn't really very engaged in New Zealand politics. And because I was working in news and was interested in politics, I was, you know, quite up to speed with everything that was happening. <laughs> This is the David Cunliffe election. Oh, my mate said, um, he said, so it looks like it was, we were like walking into the consular office. He's like, looks like Labor's going to romp in, eh? <laughs> and I was like, what? And he was like, Labor's, Labor's looking real good, eh? And I was like, mate, I think Labor's going to get hammered <laughs> in this election. Why do you say that? And he said, oh, well, everyone on Facebook's been saying, like, Labor's great. Blah, 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 blah. And it was just that his group of friends yeah. on Facebook had been saying, oh, yeah, you know, vote, vote Labour this election or whatever. And it was just, and, you know, this is hardly, the stakes in the New Zealand election are hardly, and I'm not saying that, like, Facebook manipulated that election results or anything, but it was so interesting to me that a smart, educated guy could still be, like, his his perception of the world yep. quite significantly manipulated just by the things that popped up on his timeline with the illusion of randomness. If um, um, if if everyone yeah. if everyone was behind paywalls though, hypothetically, mm-hmm. then Facebook doesn't Facebook just become a kind of disseminator of product behind facewalls like uh, like t- a paywall. Sorry, um, if if let's say the Herald and stuff and ODT and TVNZ and MediaWorks and News Hub and all these things were all behind paywalls, which is never going to happen, but let's just say they were. Then every time one of those was shared on Facebook, the people would then get directed to the site, and if they wanted to engage in that, like I get, I, I'm a subscriber to the New York Times, and one of the yeah. reasons I'm a subscriber is I keep seeing links and I would click on it and it would say you've reached the number of free articles for this this month, yeah. and when Super Tuesday came up, they did a special which which was two dollars a month, twenty six yeah. bucks a year. So I so, went. So the, the problem is that the the way they run the algorithm now doesn't promote news stories. As much as it did. So even a couple of years ago, news story, like this is how, you know, the, the I think Duncan Grieve from the spinoff talks to this really well because the spinoffs, a lot of the spinoffs content was really ideal for Facebook sharing, you yeah. know, like a hundred New Zealand chips, what, you know, all that sort of shit. And um, 
And Facebook changed its algorithm overnight, and they just saw traffic plummet, as all as all new traditional media sources in New Zealand did. And instead, Facebook just started promoting tat. Yeah, right. And you know that they they have no. Um, I would argue that like media organisations in New Zealand are at least tacitly invested in New Zealand society, right? Sure. Facebook has absolutely no interest. Mm. Facebook does not give a shit about anything except for making as much money for its shareholders as possible. I mean, you know, literally every day I wake up, I have a Facebook page with, like a public Facebook page. With, I don't even, like, a few followers, maybe 25,000 followers, 30,000 followers, nothing really. Every single day, I swear to you, every single day, I come on and there's a message from someone, an automated bot message saying, hi, we run a digital marketing company for this thing. Can we pay you to put ads on your Facebook page? I say, mark is spam, mark is spam, mark is spam. Every single day, Facebook comes back and pumps me with that. You know, last year, um, or maybe the year before when I was on breakfast, same thing's actually happening to Hosking at the moment. Um, there was some, some scammers were running ads on Facebook. Mm. With my image and Haley Holt's image saying, um, Jack and Haley reveal how they made money out of Bitcoin or thousands of dollars out of Bitcoin or something like that. I had someone write to me the other day about it and said, Hey, I'm just about to put some money into this Bitcoin thing you've promoted on Facebook. <laughs> now, I I must have I must have I must have reported that shit to Facebook a dozen times. Right. Me alone. Right. Plus all of my colleagues, plus so many people who would have seen it for the scam that it was. Do you think Facebook is prioritized getting that shit off? Absolutely not. They don't mm. care. All they care about is just pumping out clickable content that makes them money. Yeah, and, and look, uh, I mean, I don't have the same. I, I really think, I really think, like Facebook, this sounds extreme, but I really think Facebook in particular is like the single biggest threat to democracy in the world. Wow. I really, I, it's so, it's so, because it's so pernicious. Like you don't, you don't realize what it's doing to you until it's too late and for the longest time you know like we just we're just not exposed to we're not exposed to ideas we don't agree with necessarily anymore and it just kind of the way the way it um divides people inevitably leads to these kind of tribal politics that you see in america or brazil or elsewhere where all of a sudden everything just gets pushed to the margins. Like everything's pushed to the extremes. Mm. So it's like, everything's really binary. You're with them or you're against them. You like it or you don't like it. You know, you're, and I just, I think it's really, I think it's really worrying. Yeah. I, um, yeah, it's. I, and I, we don't tax them, you know? <laughs> like, oh. I, I think that's a big one, but I also wonder as well, I don't disagree with what you're saying at all. I take one step back from that and I go, there is still this filter of human beings in New Zealand who are doing this. And, and the classic example is, you know, I don't do this a lot, but sometimes when my blood boils, but when I say, I mean, nothing like yours, but I have people who follow me because I have what I've done or what I used to do sort of thing. Um, and, you know, one will pop up in my feed and it'll talk about, you know, how Donald Trump isn't a racist saying it's a... a a, a virus from China because COVID stands for Chinese origin of, you know, and it's an acronym and it starts with the word Chinese to which I take literally 15 seconds to find the Snopes article that says this is what it stands for, this is a lie. That person sitting somewhere in where a part of the country had to go see that thing and then, and, and I'll say it, be stupid enough to go, oh, that's real, to then repost it. 
I, 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 think, I think this is the thing, eh? Like Facebook has like exploited the stupidity. most vulnerable things. Yeah, the, like stupidity, absolutely. But also just the most vulnerable parts of our of our psyches. Like, why is like I don't I don't want to waste time looking at these shitty photos of people I don't care about on Facebook and Instagram, but I do. Why? Because there's something chemical in my brain. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah uh, uh, it's like I'm I'm chemically hardwired. I'm not saying I, I should take no responsibility whatsoever, but at the same time, you know, like the, these things are designed by the world's leading mathematicians you know design the algorithms but they're sitting side by side with psychologists who yeah, say yeah. well hang on if you get that tone of red for the notification that person's you know moderately more likely to click on it it's going to give them a tiny little hit of serotonin and they're going to want to do exactly the same thing in one minute yeah but you know it's crazy i've, I've stood there with mates in conversations and they've gone I'll be like, hey, man, how are you doing? They're like, yeah, no, and I'll say, yeah, you know, I've had a rough time, da, 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 da. and they'll be talking to her, and then they'll just, I'll just see my friend just go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then just check Instagram, and I'll be like, we're talking? What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> talking, and they'll be like, oh, shit, sorry, oh, my God, yeah, I just did it automatically without thinking. I do it automatically all the time without thinking about it. That's why I like I, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm watching these yeah. American comedians at the moment, guys like uh, Dave Chappelle, and I think Joe Rogan's doing it as well, when people come to their shows now, they make them lock their bags up in these, uh, lock, yeah, them, yeah. lock their phones up in these little bags and leave them outside. A, a well, they don't they don't want their they product to get out. Taken out of context, I mean, the comedians thing. Like, I, I mean, I love I love Dave Chappelle. I love Dave Chappelle. I think he's, I think he's a genius. Um, I think he says some like controversial things. But I don't know personally. I've got to be careful what I say. But I think, um, like, I want to hear stuff that I disagree with. You sure. know, like I want to, and I want to hear things that challenge the way I think about stuff. I think the most, I think one of the most admirable qualities in a person is someone who is genuinely open to changing their mind. Because so rarely we go into arguments or discussions or debates actually prepared to change our position on something. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I, th I feel like Dave Chappelle is a real thinker and someone who would challenge me to change my mind or at least to reconsider my position on things. Um, but he just knows that someone's <laughs> someone's going to snap a 15-second thing with no context, without, you know, because he and he all, all of his stand-up now has these preambles, right, where he's like, I'm saying this stuff because I want, like, it's important that people in our society have the freedom to say things and to offend anyone. And, yeah. you know, what is equality? Shouldn't equality be the the equal opportunity to be offended? Should anyone be exempt to offense? No. You know, that, that would be his argument, right? But that's not the bit they're posting. It's the thing where he's saying something insulting about, you know, whatever, and it's maybe taken out of context and then it becomes a headline. And then that headline shared on Facebook three thousand times. The word you're looking for is the transgender community. He says something well, about the transgender I don't, community. No, 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 no. I, I don't necessarily mean transgender. But that's but that's where that's, that's where he gets most of his criticism from. Those jokes. Yeah, well, you know, and I and I think that sometimes, you know, people with his powers could maybe do to aim aim, you know, to 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 use those powers against society's most powerful people. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, but I do, I mean, I'm personally like, a, you know, it's like this whole free speech debate, right? Like, I think, I think it's really dangerous. I mean, I, 
I think you know if you're inciting violence or hate against anyone, then that's that's a crime, absolutely. But I also just don't want to. I don't. I really prickle at kind of um, cancel culture. Of know? course. Like like we're banning Don Brash, the former governor of the Reserve Bank, from speaking on campus at Massey. Why? Why would you do that? You don't. You know, like I interview Don Brash fairly regularly. I completely disagree with the vast majority of the comments that he makes on on Maori. Then. Yeah. I'll just. I just don't I don't ask him about Maldidum. I still think that he's a valid thinker and he's, you know, someone with valid experience um, and expertise that that can be interviewed from time to time. Yeah. You know? And and that's not what he's I with you. I interviewed Don, I interviewed uh, Bob Jones. Yep. A few weeks ago. And remember he had that court case and he received a lot of criticisms for having this court case against this young woman who started the petition saying that she found his comments racist. Mhm. He hadn't done any interviews, and, and um, I asked him for an interview, and he gave he granted me an interview. And um, he said, if, first of all, I challenged him. I thought fairly and robustly mm-hmm. about the court case, and you know, pointed out to him that if his whole thing was that people needed to take a joke, then he wasn't taking this joke. He was, you know, he was being offended at someone being offended, blah blah blah, and that he was. A wealthy man so why was he bothering to pursue someone through the courts when he knew they didn't have money all that sort of stuff i mm-hmm. challenged him i thought robustly on those fronts and i also asked him a couple of other things about his experience in politics and the economy and you know the, played the interview and everyone said oh bob jones why would you dear have that person on blah blah blah, 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 blah. how can you give him a platform do better all of that shit. um and it was really interesting because I interviewed him on March 4th. And at that stage, New Zealand had one confirmed case of coronavirus. Right. And he said in the interview, he said, I'm watching how this is unfolding around the world. And this is, you know, I interviewed him in Wellington. We're still allowed to fly around and all that sort of shit. He said, um, he said, I've been watching how this has been unfolding over the last few weeks. We are about to enter a very serious recession. Wow. New Zealand will need to be bailed out, no doubt about it. Certainly by the end of the year, um, this is going to have a massive impact. That was on March fourth, and you know at the same time, other people in the public space in the public sphere were saying, "Oh, don't worry about it. This is nothing." And I mean, it was. I mean, you can argue how prophetic it really is, right? You know, there was plenty of information that this was going to be quite serious but he still pointed out at that stage that he thought it was going to be really serious and there weren't that many people in the public space at that time who were saying this is going to be a really big serious like we're absolutely hitting a recession New Zealand's going to be in massive trouble there weren't people saying that and um you know I just thought it's so interesting because you know there were all of these people who were saying oh mm. how, can, how on earth can you have them on television and that was a really valid contribution at that time looking totally. back to that now it's like oh well actually maybe this guy who you know, um, in the eyes of many, has done some has done some really questionable things. And you know, a, a man who people consider a bully and consider really nasty. Some people consider a bully, and some people consider really nasty. Maybe there is still validity in listening to what he has to say on some subjects, like the economy. Keeping in mind, he's a billionaire. <laughs> like, maybe this guy knows something about how world markets work. I don't know. It, it makes. I just thought it was really interesting. Yeah. It makes me think about. I, I was. Um, to be honest, I was looking for a photo to put a view up because I always do that, and I came across mm. your Metro uh, magazine article from late last yeah. year. So I put that photo up because you look fabulous. Oh, um, 
And I read a bit in there as I was looking through and, and the conversation you were having about how important it is to ask the questions. And you talked about, you know, if you still want to be in this game when you're 45, then you've got to ask the questions and, and push the, the topics. I'm wondering how important that is. And, and what, what comes to mind is you talk about Don Brash because it seems like he wasn't there to talk about Māori issues, so he didn't talk about Māori things with them. I'm thinking about John Oliver was asked to host some kind of event that had Dustin Hoffman on stage. Hoffman? Rain Man, Dustin Hoffman, yeah, on stage. And it was quite soon after sexual assault allegations came along after him. And um, John Oliver said, look, if you ask me to do this, I will. But if you do, I'm going to ask questions. And so they had him do it. And then on the other hand, I'm thinking about the lovely Leighton Smith. And it may have been Helen Clark that he had on. It was a left-wing politician and he didn't talk to them at all about climate change, which, of course, all of his listeners just wanted to talk to this person about climate change the whole time. And he actually said at the end of the interview, that's not what they were here for. We can have the climate change conversation with them another day. They were here for reasons X, Y, Z. And when I read that article, or well, I skimmed that article from the Metro, I was just thinking about how important it is to ask the questions, to push those questions whether the person is there for or not for that reason. And I'm thinking about Donald Trump as well, thinking about the questions that should be getting asked of him in various meeting rooms and kind of just wanted to throw it at you going, you know, you've sort of brought it up anyway, but the idea about asking the the hard questions, the direct questions, the uncomfortable questions. I mean, Don Brash is a great example. I was in a podcast with him a couple of election cycles ago and asked him how can the public of New Zealand trust him, you know, when infidelities in his past and... You know, people closest to him couldn't trust him. Since then, I've had people tell me it wasn't necessarily an appropriate conversation, but he said there and then, that's a really fair question, and that's the question that the people are going to have to ask themselves how trustworthy I am. So, um, yeah, what, what do you think about that sort of... Interesting. I mean, I think, I, think that there is a, I think that there is a time and place for questions, right? Yeah. So, like, I... I yeah, I mean, like, I, I like that John Oliver approach. If you've, I, I think that, the, I don't think that maybe the John Oliver approach and the Leighton approach are necessarily either is right or wrong, but yeah. I would have thought that usually there is a pretext for interviewing someone in a, in a context in which you're interviewing someone. And, um, and I, I and, and, you know, if, if something incredibly newsworthy has, has happened like the sexual assault allegations against Dustin Hoffman, then absolutely you should use your platform to be asking those questions. But at the same time, I think what, an, like, I, I don't think that, you know, I don't think that every time we talk about Te Reo Māori, we should be getting Don Brash's perspective on. I don't know that he's, I don't know what qualifications he has to speak on that necessarily. I'm not saying we should, oppress his opinions on that or that we should never ask his opinions on that but i don't think that we need to get him every single time we have the conversation but can i just I think, let, let me ask something so you don't get him on every time you talk about maori but when you have him on do you talk to him about maori so you're not getting him on to talk about that but like his hobson's pledge for example i think is yeah. an abominable piece of crap and the, the quintessential example of kind of white privilege and racism on some level, because it's basically saying the same thing they've always said, I want to make sure that it's equal under the law when it comes to race. 
And that's it. He doesn't want to make it equal under the law when it comes to wealth or gender or sexual orientation. Just this one thing. And that's why I think there's the big hole in that sort of thing. So he he has put his head above the parapet to talk about race. So my question is... Well, the time, times that I would usually interview Don Brash, yeah. and I haven't interviewed him in ages, but I, the times that I usually talk to him are things on like um, New Zealand-China trade, yep. monetary policy, um, the state of national politics, maybe. Um, let's not forget, he was almost New Zealand Prime Minister. Yep, like yep. He was the leader of the opposition, okay? Um yeah, um, you know, the, the the impact of negative interest rates or a negative OCR in, in New Zealand. So that's quite, a, na- that's quite, a, think, that's quite yeah, narrow. Yeah. That's quite a narrow conversation. So you can see. Really? I mean, it's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of places you can go there. But yeah. I do think that sometimes with people like Don Bradge, it's like, oh, uh, you know, um, there's a proposal from whoever that, that te reo Māori should be taught in all schools up to the age of 10 let's get, um, you know, an esteemed Komatua and let's get Don Brash. Yeah, I, <laughs> like, I, I agree. I, I agree oh, with no, you. No, no, no. Yeah. No. It's like I used to be yeah. in a particular news uh, room <laughs> and I've heard conversations around church issues come up and I've literally heard one of the journalists say, what crazy Christian can we get on board? You know, it's not yeah. the, and there was one particularly five years ago, so they used to go to quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm with you. I, I don't, that's, that's actually sort of what we're talking about with Facebook. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. If it's controversial, it gets clicks. And it doesn't necessarily mean good content or good journalism, in my opinion. No. There's not a lot of nuance, eh? Like, no. I just think the world is such a complex place. And most issues are not binary. Like, it's, most things are not black and white. Most things aren't just right or wrong. And the way that all of those things work is binary. Like, yeah. uh, it's, you're either for it or against it. It's either right or it's wrong, and that inevitably amplifies things so that you just end up with these like hyper partisan positions on everything, yeah. you know. And, and um, it's just it's amazing how tribal the divide is, you know, especially in places like the states, obviously, um, you know, compared to even 10 years ago. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes down to comes down to Facebook. I've yeah. just started listening to uh, is it. A rabbit hole or a wormhole or something which is like a new york times podcast about a guy who um only two episodes in it's so interesting he um watched the christchurch shooting or or had some relationship or saw the feeds or whatever and realized that he and uh the shooter had been like engaging with the same material on youtube wow and, and for years, and, you know, he'd been watching all of these Stephen Molyneux clips and all of that sort of stuff. And, and anyway, these, the tech guys at the Times and have gone back through his entire YouTube catalogue from the start of 2015 or something like that and kind of plotted the way that the algorithm has slowly made him more and more and more and more extreme in his, yeah, wow. in his view. And, um, you know, like it's, and it starts off with just sort of like Joe Rogan and that sort of stuff. And then by the end, it's like, oh, I'm listening to Stephen Molyneux for however many hours a day. And, you know, like this white nationalist over here and all of this sort of stuff. Um, and he said, like, he had read the manifesto and he just said he was like shocked with how much it was like this kind of reckoning moment. He's like, oh my God, I agree with so much of this in this manifesto, but this, 
like this appalling act has just been um, committed and, and streamed online. And I completely disagree with that. So how have I got to this position? And they actually have the, the guy who wrote the YouTube algorithm. Wow. Who has quit YouTube or was fired from YouTube in protest or whatever. And they talked about how in the early days of YouTube, the idea was to get as many clicks as possible. So they said, design us things. That, so you, And so, but that incentivized clickbait headlines. Yeah, sure. So everyone would say like, oh, what's an eagle stealer? kitten or whatever right um and then you click on it and it wouldn't be an eagle stealing a kitten and then we go oh screw this oh, i'm sick of youtube and so they changed the parameters for the programmers and, and this guy was you know like a phd in math from john hopkins or whatever and he said they they changed it to value the length of time for which people watch or listen to youtube right. as opposed to the number of things they click on you right know, youtube does the ads in the middle now yep um and he said it's completely changed the game because the the sorts of videos that were promoted and promoted in the sidebar at the end of youtube just like inevitably drove people to become more and more and more and more and more and more extreme in their views and this guy who is the <sighs> subject and he said he was listening to youtube or watching it for like 16 hours a day Whoa. he'd have it he'd have it in his pocket and he'd just be listening to it like he'd have a joe rogan podcast or whatever like three hours da, 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 da. And he'd, but he just over the space of five years has become more and more extreme. And it's really fascinating because they go back to when the algorithm changed and they're able to plot it all through his YouTube history up to this point. It's scary, man. Because, like I say, it kind of plays on our our foibles, it plays on our, our like our humanness. Um, and yeah, you know, we, we're actually as sophisticated as we think we are, we're actually very easy to manipulate. And it's the it it's the it's the boiling the frog analogy, isn't it? You know? Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. And you know, I always think um, I've got this little nephew, and I um, yeah, myself talking to my sister the other day, or just before lockdown, and she'd taken him to the swimming pool for the first time. I said, "Oh, how was it?" She said, "Oh, yeah, he got really excited because there was an orange sign at the swimming pool, like a big, there were big orange letters on the wall." She said he was just completely mesmerized. He's one year old. He's completely mesmerized by this orange sign. We were talking about it afterwards. I said, you know, that that kid's chemistry, mm. that his physiology is exactly the same, almost exactly the same as a human being 30,000 years ago. You're right. Human being 30,000 years ago would never have seen that color, mm. but for like a navel orange, maybe if you lived in the right part of the Mediterranean or Africa, like you would never encounter that color, that vivid orange in nature. It's exactly the same thing applies with, with digital technology. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like our brains, our bodies, nothing, no part of us is designed for this kind of digital engagement. And yet we've made it a massive part of our lives. And we wonder why we're addicted. Like it's, it's yeah, I find it really interesting. And then we go full circle back to my teenager freaking out because there wasn't a phone to put in her pocket as she goes out yeah, to do yeah. her goes out to do her freaking paper run. Paper run. Hey, um, yeah, and you can see why, which is why, you know, I, I sometimes I don't like talking necessarily about my kids or the, the what we do because I don't want people to think it's like a, yay, look at how we're doing it sort of thing. But we don't, like at nighttime, kids don't have their phones in their rooms. They don't have their devices in their rooms. They're out in the dining room. I bought them, I bought them. It was actually, I've said it twice already, and this, there's a Simon Sinek clip, S-I-N-E-K, S-I-N-E-K, 
if people want to look it up and look up uh, Millennials in the Workplace. And he has about an eight minute part of this conversation where he talks about how the brain interacts with technology. And one of the things he says is like, you know, if you wake up in the morning and you look at your phone before you say good morning to your partner, then you've, you've got a problem with, with technology. He gives all these examples and he says, you know, when him and his friends go out, one person's got a phone. Because, you know, you might want to call an Uber, all that kind of stuff, but the rest of them don't take them. Um, and one of the things he says is people use the excuse, oh, I use it as my alarm clock. And he goes, buy an alarm clock. He goes, I'll buy you an alarm clock. So when I, you know, we've seen that. So my, my three have got clocks in their rooms, little, you know, $9 clocks from Kmart or whatever. And, you know, when I crack the hammer and say at the table by nine o'clock for school, please, um, they, they've got their alarm set and they got to do it. So... It's trying to. I, it's, my, I keep my phone on. Do not disturb, twenty four seven. Oh, twenty four. That's the only interesting. people who can break it. Uh, the only people who can ring me are my like producer mm -hmm. and my family. No, nice. no one else. Like even my close mates, they couldn't like drunk call me or anything. It's go straight to answer button. And I never get. It never makes a noise. Never goes ping. You've got a message. Never lights up. And I'm still addicted, but I, I keep it like that all the time. Yeah. But I guess what we got to do is, as you're saying, you know. Um, never seen that color, never had this technology, is now that we're here, it's not like we can go, well, I'm going to live outside the worlds of technology because you can't. So it's trying to figure out how to, I was about to say circumnavigate, that's the wrong word, that means go outside, to, to navigate this path with all these things we have to deal with that our lizard brains shouldn't be dealing with. And that's, I guess that's life, figuring out how to, how to navigate this path. Yeah, I don't have any answers, except, <laughs> except, that, except that you just have to try and, like, form habits. You know, you know that we know that habits are formed after 20 days or whatever. Yep. And so I just think that's the way you have to try and do it. You have to set rules like the ones you have about checking your phone before saying hi to your partner or mm. not having phones in kids' rooms and all of those sorts of things. I, you know, I, I've heard people say that, like, in 20 years, we're going to look back at this and be like, can you remember we just used to, like, let kids have phones and just <laughs> do whatever the they wanted? Like, that's unbelievable. It's just like giving kids, hey, a baggie of cocaine. Do Have a fun weekend, guys. Like, I, I, it sounds extreme, but I don't know that it necessarily is. You know, I wonder if in years to come, we're, just get, we're actually just going to realize that this has damaged us so much collectively and that we have to regulate it. Um, even if the even if the all-powerful giants do everything they can to stop being regulated in a meaningful way, you know, or it could but, or it could go the other way. I was on the phone the other day with my eighty-year-old father trying to help him set up Zoom, which mm. is the easiest thing in the world. And, and if I'm honest, I was getting a little bit frustrated. You know, fifteen hundred k's away, I couldn't just push a button for him. And my thirteen-year-old sitting next to me, and she went, "Dad, be patient." Mm. Just think in 40 or 50 years from now when we've got phones in our hands and you don't understand it. And I'm just like, shut up. Don't make yeah. logical statements like that when I'm having a little frustration moment. Leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and look, you know, halfway through this conversation, I was saying how fantastic it is to have these digital options during this lockdown. So it's not all bad. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But it's just that, it's, it's that balance is really hard to strike. Hey, um, before we wrap up, and we've been an hour and a quarter, so it's been awesome. Thanks for your time. There's a late one as well. My little time TARDIS here. Um, 
I did want to just follow on from what we talked about five or ten minutes ago about asking questions, because you have been involved in places where you know there's been American politics when you were over over there for five years and uh, American elections and stuff. What what do you think the press should be doing with Donald Trump at the moment over there? What should they be asking him? And I know whatever you ask doesn't mean you'll get an answer, but it seems that there is a lot of even from the media at the moment, kind of hand waving and um, try, trying really to trying to trap or trying to trap him to make him look like a dick. Not that he doesn't deserve that, perhaps, but rather than actually doing that fourth estate journalism job. I disagree. I think there's I think there's some amazing reporting being done in America. Unfortunately, I think that the the press there is perceived as being so partisan mm-hmm. that you know, like someone who religiously watches fox news will not will will simply not believe something that is presented in the new york times and the people who read the new york times will simply not watch five minutes of fox news yeah i mean fox news is you know fox news is is partisan beyond the pale it's it's i watch it i'm like what the hell is this (laughs) but that being said there's plenty of media that is that is partisan on the left as well maybe sure. not quite as extreme i mean you can watch msnbc and it's like you know you can see how a republican watching msnbc would feel the same way that a diehard democrat would feel watching fox news 100 um I, I actually think that trump is like a trump trump is a genius in understanding news cycles and understanding how news works and manipulating the commercial models against themselves in America. He knows, you know, like he boasts about ratings and all that stuff, but man, that guy knows how to get coverage and he knows how to divert attention. If it were me, I would be doing things like when Trump starts calling it the China virus, not biting. Let him call it the China virus. Just don't say anything. Why do you, like, they immediately turned that into the story, right? As soon as the China virus thing happened, it was like, why is Trump calling it the China virus? Is it racist for Trump to call it the China virus? And, it, and immediately it turns the conversation into the liberal, so-called liberal media, or at least the, you know, the, the, the MSNBCs of the world being like, Trump is a racist, Trump is a racist. Well, you know, we already knew that Trump was a racist. Yeah. But then you have the right being like, well, it is a China virus. It is a China virus. You know, blah, blah, blah. we called the Spanish flu, the Spanish flu. How is this any different? Yeah. Classic liberals, you know. Uh, and it's like, well, hang on. Instead of arguing this, why don't we apply some scrutiny to the fact that America's woefully unprepared for this global pandemic because the president, partly because the president scrapped the White House pandemic response team and used the, the six weeks of warnings that he had from the CDC and the WHO to faff about rather than actually preparing himself mm. and the fact that America's woefully unsupplied when it comes to testing equipment and all of that sort of thing. Maybe we should be having public debates about whether or not to lock down as opposed to whether or not the use of China virus is racist. That's where I think. Like, they're so it's so predictable. The moment I saw him say China virus, I was like, <laughs> prepare for three days of China virus debate on, on news as opposed to, I don't know, maybe debating whether or not we should be setting up field hospitals in New York. You know, or whether or not we should be applying more scrutiny to the Centers for Disease Control. Why isn't the federal government doing more? Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's. Um, I was in New York when Ebola happened, and my right. kind of flatmate at the time actually went to fight Ebola in Liberia. Wow! And it was really interesting because um, the U.S. was just totally led that. Like Ebola is 
you know, was, was devastating and disastrous and was a totally different disease and all of those things. But it was also a relative success and a great example of what happens when multilateral institutions, these big, you know, organizations and NGOs that are made up with lots of co contributions from lots of different countries, when they come together and coalesce around a response, how effective it can be. Yeah. America led that. America absolutely was in the front, you know, the front of funding that, of, of you know, their health experts, all of that shit. America, America pushed that, right? Because they could, could see that it was what was in the global interest was in their interest as well. Mm -hmm. This time around, it's just like every country's on their own. And I just think it's, I think it's so interesting what a lack of a, of a multilateral response is. I mean, even down to things like Norway and Sweden having different approaches. You know, it's really, it's really interesting to me that I think in the past, instead of threatening to cut funding to the WHO, I think the American, I'm not saying that those institutions, the UNs and the WHOs and International Monetary Fund, those things are ever perfect because of course they're not. They're deeply flawed. Yeah. But in the past, America really prioritized leading those institutions mm -hmm. and they've, they've quite deliberately stepped away from that leadership now. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen when this shit really um, gets out of control in, in Africa. But yeah you know that's a, ter like, that's a terrifying people in america who have it i can guarantee you know once it hits sub-saharan africa yep rips through nigeria you know is equatorial guinea gonna you know i think liberia has like one ventilator or two I, ventilators i, I think <laughs> I, I think i heard that on tvnz news that they have two ventilators yeah yeah i mean it's hopeless you know and um and is there going to be any appetite for america to go and spend you know the world's biggest economy to spend money helping out those countries probably not I think it's really interesting. You know, I think, uh, yeah. So come November, the next election over there, it'll be fascinating to see what happens with um, with Trump. Well, that's if there is an election. I mean, I don't say that as yeah. a conspiracy theorist, but if they go through another cycle, like um, I think the CDC said it the other day, of this getting worse come winter time. Imagine if it imagine if it doesn't go away and it's worse, and they've got a second. It's the second Tuesday in November normally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's, it's yeah. But Who they, knows? I mean, they have to get they have to get congressional approval to move the election date, and I can't see the House of Representatives being very enthusiastic about that. Well, one of the thing, one of the things that American, you talk about the partisanship, and I think you're right, and 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 with the media, but I mean, obviously, you're partisan within the the parties, but it's even the approach being partisan that thing that frustrates the crap out of me. And the perfect example at the moment is the whole. Uh, Christine Blasey Ford um, versus Tara Reid situation. You know, Christine Blasey Ford accused Kavanaugh of of an assault, and then the left and the left basically got behind her, and people, including Joe Biden, used the Believe All Women. Tara Reid comes out with an accusation against Joe Biden. MSNBC basically doesn't even run the stories. CNN has only just started to run the stories when um, her mother is believed to be on uh, the Larry King Live. So it's fascinating, even that side of it. And I personally, I think that's the worst. That feels like the worst of politics, where one political side will have an expectation that differs to what they do on the other. And I might have said this to you before, but I remember seeing it when National in the first decade changed to, uh, sorry, when Labor in the first decade changed to National, and the Defence Minister's changed position from Defence Minister to you know um, Opposition Defence Spokesperson, and they it felt like they literally left the script on their seats for the Skyhawks, 
Because the same defence from the brand new defence minister was all the things that six weeks earlier the Labour defence minister was saying and the same accusations were being made by now the defence opposition spokesperson. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, it frustrates me. I mean, I think I think we're relatively lucky in New Zealand that, um, you know, like we are about as stable as democracies get in the world at the moment. And, um, you know, like I have been thinking about what would have happened if National were in charge during this crisis. And uh, I'm not saying they would have done everything exactly the same. And certainly Jacinda Ardern is, you know, a uniquely gifted communicator and, and public reassurer yeah um and you know she's she's amazing in the crisis um as the front person for the response um but i you know would would a national led government have really done that much differently probably not but we our public service fortunately generally isn't very partisan you know and and i don't you know whereas in america i think like so much of the response to this is being drawn up on on political lines which is like a terrible a terrible you know and trump's threatening to withhold resources from states where he doesn't like the government so yeah yeah like, oh my god you know, like, so i just think that we're you know we're relatively fortunate that we actually live in a place where you know the the the, the differences between center left and center right aren't so yeah. extreme or venal that you know that potentially tens of thousands of lives are on the line. I've changed my position on how I think about the US after speaking to Steve Wrigley, who's currently living in New York as a Is comedian. He? Yeah, living upstate, upstate New York. Um, he lives with his partner's family. Well, he's got his own yeah. place over there. But when And I sort of had thought of this before, but he described really, really clearly that America is more like the EU than anywhere else. And so to paraphrase that out, you kind of go, okay, so the EU is independent countries with independent governments that have this governing body, which is the EU. So America is independent states that have independent governing bodies, which have a you know an overarching um, organization being the federal government. And when you start thinking about it like that, you can see how you know Georgia wants to open up, but California wants to shut down, and they can run completely separately. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, yeah it's a, I mean, the same thing is actually in Australia to a lesser extent. But yeah, it's this when you have a federal government like that eh? but i mean there's still like the federal government still has a lot of power yeah and they can course. at least they can at least i mean a great example in the states in this response is um ppe and yep. so instead of getting a coordinated centralized system for obtaining ppe i mean the, the logical thing anyone with even just a, an elementary understanding of economics so the logical thing here is to have a centralized body that goes to the suppliers in China and other parts of the world and says, right, we in our country need 300 million face masks, gowns, gloves, all of that sort of stuff. Yep. We need 300 million, so give us a good price. Yeah, of course. Okay? But instead, every individual state is going to those suppliers in China and going, uh, we need 30 million of these things. We need 30 million. And that supplier goes... Well, sorry, North Dakota, but uh, Michigan needs thirty million, and they're going to do it for two dollars yeah. more per so, thing. So it's the and opposite. So, yeah. Well, so you've actually reversed your yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've re you reversed your bargaining power from being someone who's going in wanting this huge quantity to to instead having your own states bidding against one uh, each other for the same resources. Yeah. It's, it's just defies sense. Like, but I mean, that's that's 
how they're running things at the moment. So, Again, we should feel very lucky. We, and I think that where I've come to on the coronavirus response here in New Zealand, I mean, I'm I'm nervous about the level three a little bit. I'm nervous that in two weeks' time we're going to see an increase, and I hope we don't. But you know, I know that Glenfield Burgerfield is not the might be the exception rather than the rule. Mm-hmm. But um, for the last few weeks, when we've been talking about this, my position has kind of been acknowledging that no one can get it perfect. Like you know, this these guys will criticise the government here, and these guys will, will will support the government here. But if we have two columns of good ideas and bad ideas, we want to tick as many in the good and as few in the bad, and it yeah. feels like that's kind of what we've done. I now, think scrutiny is. Yeah, I think scrutiny is important. Mm. But you know, like relatively speaking, and and the thing with this is no one really knows. Like we don't know shit about the virus. You know, yeah. we don't. You still can't even say with any authority whether or not. If you've had it, how long you're immune for, and all that stuff. We don't. We really don't know much about it. But you know, I think we're pretty fortunate to have a, a, a scientific community who are respected to the degree that our decision makers listen to their advice. And for the most part, this is what I mean. Like, would National have made any? Would they have made dramatically different decisions? Probably not. They probably would have made. Maybe, maybe we would have gone to a little, a slowly, a, a lower level, slightly earlier. But probably not. You know, I think. I think for the most part we're we're fortunate in in that respect. And I think the other thing we're talking about tribalism. Just to wrap up, the thing I have enjoyed, and it's not that he got a bit of stick, but when it feels like Simon Bridges read the read the community wrong, and read started to and yeah. started to criticise people through Facebook or criticise the government, sorry, through Facebook, the the community said pull your head in, including National Party supporters and that made me kind of think i didn't i didn't want to see simon i mean I, I i know simon well enough from working with him and actually having him and jacinda as my correspondents on one of my old radio shows um i don't want to see him go through you know unnecessary slack but that said to me you know we're not that place that no matter what the leader of party x says we're going to support them it's something that he, oh, re- no. he read it, he read it wrong and the community said, no, you've got it wrong. And we're, even though we're not a supporter of the other party, we are supporting the current climate of ideas they're putting out there, which I thought was really, really healthy. Yeah, I, do. I, I mean, I personally think that scrutiny, again, is important. I think actually Bridges has a really important job. And, and the select committee stuff has been really interesting. And, yeah. and there's been the good stuff to come out of that. But yeah, reading the room is important. And you're right. Like, we're not so, like... Labour till I die, national till I die. Ah! Yeah. You know, like we're not kind of at that degree here, fortunately, and long may that remain the case. Yeah. No one has a monopoly on good ideas. No one has a monopoly on bad ideas. And I think that's true. And that's the whole idea when when we talk about, and I've done this before as a, as a blog post about intelligent debate versus ideology. you got to acknowledge you're not always going to be right. So therefore, if you always follow your ideology, Logic dictates sometimes you're not going to have the best idea or you're going to be wrong. So we've got to be open to all ideas. That's how you get intelligent debate. Yeah, I agree. So, Hey, Jack Tame, you are a beautiful man. How's the traffic looking at the moment? Yeah, it's busy. It's level three. It's not level It's not level one, but it's also not level four. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's good to see. I never, never have I been more pleased to hear the sound of an angle grind. <laughs> 8 a.m. on Tuesday morning, I was like, oh, here we go. But, um, yeah, I hope that I hope that we get through. I hope um, you and the kids are on good ground in the coming weeks. Oh, I'm sure we'll start speaking to each other at some stage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you're, always chat. you're back on ZB on Saturday morning if people pick this up live? Yep. And then uh, ZB Saturday morning, Q&A Monday night. 
Do you know what you're doing on Monday? Yeah, is any idea what the stories are going to come, or do they kind of come through the weekend? No, uh, no, yeah, we've still got various requests out and that sort of thing. Hopefully something comes through. Thank you, sir. I love talking to you. I appreciate your time, and um, I'm sure uh, we'll catch up again sometime. Yeah, look forward to it. Take care. Nice to chat, and uh, catch you soon. Eh? All right, team, uh, that's us done and dusted for another one. Coming up uh, next week, it's always difficult to quite nail down in this current climate exactly who we've got. Uh, I've got several requests out there for people to join us on the podcast. In fact, today's podcast with Jack was organized in the space of about three hours. Uh, Jack messaged me back today, uh, maybe 11.30 this morning, and went, yeah, let's chat. And I went, when do you want to do it? And he goes, how about today? And I went, how's 1.30? And he said, yes. And so we did it. That's sort of the world we're living in right now. So we do have some people booked in, including Tim Giles this weekend, uh, Saturday at 11 a.m. live streaming. Also Dave Rubin, he's an American uh, political commentator, um, and he does a show called The Rubin Report online, uh, and he's just released a book called Don't Burn This Book. Very clever marketing, don't burn this book. Although sometimes when things get burnt, they actually raise the profile of them. So I don't know whether it's a good message or a bad message. Dave Rubin joins us next Thursday, next Friday, Martin Davidson co-leader of the Greens is going to be with us as well. If you want to find out about the schedule and who's coming up and who's going to be on, easiest way to do it is just head to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash D-O-C-N-Z. For you American listeners, that would be N-Z because y'all speak funny. Um, other than that, just head to the website, www.thedoc.nz and there's mostly lists in there that you'll be able to find out what's going on when as we peer down our Department of Conversation production compared to what we normally run. Although excitement galore, uh, you know, within a couple of weeks of now, hopefully we'll be in our brand new studio, which will be in the basement of my house, which will be lovely. All right, team, loved being back with you. Really enjoyed the conversation with Jack. We'll see you again real soon. Stay safe. Hooroo.